the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back as we head into Hour 2. It is a delight to have our dear friend Pete Peterson with us. He is the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. I'll just tell you how good it is, um, the Pepperdine School. You look at what he's doing and what some of the conferences and speeches is and speakers he's bringing into Pepperdine on his Twitter feed, which is at Pete4CA, and it makes you makes me want to go back to school. Well, his school, <laughs> your school, Pete. How are you, sir? Happy Friday. And to you, Seth. Great to be back with you. Heck of a week of serious things that really have me worried. But before we go down those depressive areas, at least depressive for me, give us a little lift. Uh, this uh, this looks really interesting, a speech you folks hosted with Josh Mitchell. Was this part of yeah. your Tocqueville program? Tell me what we're doing over it, what this was about. This looks really good. Americans, America's current political culture from Josh Mitchell. Yeah, so this is uh, part of an initiative here, uh, which we've discussed before, our new uh, Ed Meese Institute for Liberty and the American Project, uh-huh. which has been an effort to look at national policy, but really through the lens of uh, political culture. Mm-hmm. And in that, um, Josh Mitchell, a professor at Georgetown, author of several books, and known to be uh, one of America's foremost experts on uh, Alexis de Tocqueville, uh, gave the keynote at a conference that the Mies Institute hosted here a few weeks ago. And uh, it's it was a really powerful speech, uh, not to not to give it away, uh, because I think it's important for all of us to to watch and take in. But essentially, he was making a point that's been made in other places that once a culture uh, becomes increasingly secularized, it's not as if the the formal institutions of religion uh, are completely lost. They simply uh, morph, if you will, into other systems of faith. And for Mitchell, what this means is much of uh, the identity politics that we're seeing, uh, certainly in part based on uh, the the history and reality of critical theory, uh, is in fact a type of religion. I mean, this is something that John McWhorter uh, talks about in in many of his uh, articles and and recent book on the subject. And Josh Mitchell is essentially making the same point that as a culture, in this case the American culture, becomes more secular, it doesn't become less religious. Uh, the religious devotions just change into uh, more material and ideological ones. It's interesting. So the point, if I'm picking this up uh, correctly, Pete, is that there's something about the human condition that demands of itself and of its individuals a belief in something, a faith in something. And if I hear it right, it can be God or it can be uh, what we traditionally think of as, uh, as, as God. 
But if it isn't, it's going to be something else. They're going to replace That's God right. with a belief in something else. That's right. And again, in particular, what, what Josh is arguing, just given his perspective on America's current political culture, is that those religious devotions have shifted to uh, ideological ones, and specifically in this area around what might be called identity politics and uh, views of American history. I mean, these are all part and parcel of a larger set of religious beliefs. I see the connection to what McMorder's saying now that you're mentioning. Yes, because in his most recent book, he kind of calls it a church, the belief in this racial right. this racial shell game. He calls it, is that the right phrase? I don't know what the right phrase is. The, the racialization and the re-racialization of America is like talking to a woke church when you argue. Yeah, you know? which is, again is, is McWhorter's uh, perspective on this is that there's a certain religious devotion, a certain amount of faith in these principles. And again, what Josh is calling out is that if we are disordering our religious beliefs and affiliations, that's bound to have a negative impact on uh, the broader American culture. And it just was a very... Do you see this with the environmental movement, by the way, a little bit too? He does. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's part and parcel of this as well. Anything that has a certain kind of a, a religious fervor that a is not in fact it, yeah. uh, a faith tradition mm-hmm. is is what he's calling out there. You know what's interesting to me about that, and um, you know, I I don't mean to be crude here, Pete. What's interesting to me is before you joined us uh, on this show today. I played a broadcast from 1965 of Paul Harvey, Mm. Mm. and it was titled If I Were the Devil, and it's Mm. three and a half minutes of describing in 1965 what we are having um, almost every sentence here today. And he gets to a part in his uh, three and a half minutes, If I Were the Devil, he talks about um, the churches. He said, in God's own churches, I would substitute psychology for religion, and I would deify science. Now, before I ask you to comment on that, let me add to that to one of my favorite sermons by Martin Luther King, which is titled "A Mark," uh, excuse me, "A Knock at Midnight," where he says the best sellers in psychology today are "Man Against Himself," the neurotic, neurotic personality of our time, and "Modern Man in Search of a Soul." And you can find those books sold at almost every church in America. Um, it's 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 an anyway. You can comment. Yeah, well, it, what he's in part getting at there is the difference between science as a process used in search in pursuit of the truth to scientism, which is a view that if something can be seen as being derived or called out by science, often rarely used, but really should be with a capital S, the way that certain people are making proclamations supposedly in the name of science, then there really should be no debate or dispute about that. And obviously, we've seen some of that in the response to COVID, where uh, we were told that science says X. Well, science doesn't say anything. The scientific method may reveal certain truths that we have to consider, But the way that term is thrown about in America's political culture is one in which 
it's really intended to shut down any debate or discussion. How do you think stands uh, faith in America today? Last time we visited, we talked a lot about Tocqueville and uh, your Prager University discussion on uh, democracy in America. And uh, you'll get it right, and I'll, I'll butcher it a little bit. But in Democracy in America, Tocqueville does say that uh, faith or church religion, I think he says, religion is really the first of our political institutions. Throw that all together. How, how do you think the, the faith tradition and faith in religion stands in America today? Well, I think it's what we're seeing in the data um, that trend lines that we're not encouraging as far as religious participation before COVID have only gotten worse. Uh, if we're to understand religious devotion as actual participation or philanthropy or participating in faith-based nonprofits, while America continues to lead the world and be importantly uh, unique in that sense, certainly in the Western world, uh, we are seeing a decline in all those measures of religious uh, devotion. And as Tocqueville pointed out, that was that could be a sign in the future that at once was America's strength, this ability to combine religious devotion with uh, devotion to the, you know, to the neighbor, and in so doing, remove the, necess- the necessity of government uh, to be so integrally involved in our lives. You know, back to that Dennis Prager line, the bigger the government, the smaller the citizen, and vice versa. Uh, but it's fair to say that that is something that we need to be very um, concerned about, that with declines in religious participation, are we going to see what I call the part of the Tocqueville prophecy, which is that once that begins to happen, uh, you begin to see Americans uh, requesting the government be more involved in finding so-called solutions to social challenges. It might be too strong a phraseology, but I had a guest in here the other day uh, from Washington who was talking about uh, that very issue of we do have we don't we don't really see nuns anymore on our streets or in our schools or in our hospitals. Not many, not like we used to when we were growing up. Yep. He he said, but we do see an awful lot of nuns who have married the government. That is there. Yeah. That let me uh, let me take a quick commercial break. I want to come back to you on a bunch of stuff that kind of gets us into maybe what we're seeing as some of the downwash effects of what we're describing. Pete Peterson and I'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Delighted to have Pete Peterson with us. He is the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy, publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. We talk about uh, some of the problems, a lot of the problems in a lot of our institutions of higher education. Pepperdine is the solution if you're looking for graduate work in trying to make our communities better. Um, Pete, speaking of, two stories um, out of California I've been talking about. And uh, I don't know if you know a professor up at Stanford named Keith Humphreys. He's in the medical school and he does uh, I don't. Uh, psychiatry and behavioral sciences. I'm going to have him on a little later uh, talking about uh, the, the, drug, the drug issue in America, the overdose, uh, the poisonings in this country. And maybe, maybe a sad sign of some of the decline 
in uh, faith, not only in God, but in our fellow man. Two stories out of California, uh, one up in San Francisco, where a 10-year-old, excuse me, a 10-month-old, let me try that again, 10-month-old baby was rushed to the hospital from a fentanyl overdose. A uh, 10-month-old was given Narcan, believe it or not, yeah. you know, um, to reverse a fentanyl overdose. The kid did not voluntarily, initi- you know, initiate uh, the use of fentanyl. He got a little pill from, you know, the grounds in San Francisco in which he and his babysitter were walking. Thank God he lived. Um, I'm seeing a story out of the San Fernando Valley where 10 students at a, a middle school there uh, were rushed to the hospital uh, from uh, marijuana overdoses. These young kids, and I mean, you know, high school students and 10-month-olds, Pete, it is so sad. We have yeah. a... Um, We have an area that looks a little bit like some of these uh, places in the Tenderloin uh, in San Francisco. We have an area here called The Zone. And Mm. uh, three weeks ago, a 24-week born-alive infant was found dead in The Zone, Mm. burned to death. What Mm. are we doing to ourselves, man? We're losing something here. We're losing something more than it may start with the churches. We're losing something big, and, and it's not getting better quick. Yeah, and of course we've we've talked about some of these cultural issues, especially the ones related to uh, deaths of despair, um, loneliness, alienation. But in some ways, Seth, you know, we can just go back to the beginning of our conversation. I was thinking you would. I was hoping you would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, what are the signs of an increasingly secularized culture Mm -hmm. that at once used to be? used to have a greater culturally mm-hmm. uh, religious devotion. And, of course, what's important to understand about this, I heard a recent interview with uh, a podcast interview with uh, the historian Neil Ferguson, uh-huh. um, who's at the Hoover Institution in Stanford. And it was a very personal interview. I know Neil a little, Dr. Ferguson a little bit. We've had him speak down here before. Um and so the the interview goes uh starts going into the area of of faith and 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 the podcaster wasn't actually a a Christian so this was made it doubly interesting and it was a very innocent question about uh where Neil's uh faith was and his faith walk and how he was passing that on to his kids and he was very open about the fact that he thought it was very important for the kids to be exposed to um, the Christian faith, and while he himself had not uh, become a believer, he understood both personally but also historically how important it was for a society to hold on to uh, these faiths and this faith and and these positions, mm. um, because as he said. Every evidence we have of a fully secularized culture, uh, those tend to be the most brutal. Uh And, of course, he called out uh, the history of the communist regimes, who were atheistic, uh, militantly atheistic regimes. And so as we think about what the trend lines are here in America— I hate to say it, but we almost shouldn't be surprised, I guess, in some ways— Uh, and, and at the same time, we, we should be diligent about making the connection between these stories, which are so horrifying 
and under and and situating them within some broader broader trends and to understand that there is a part of back to Tocqueville again there's a part of the christian nature certainly within america that has these incredible political benefits both in society uh, but also personally I think that's well stated. I, I often run straight to C.S. Lewis's line in Men Without Chests that it seems mm. like we've reached a point where we're demanding the function, but we've removed the organ. Yeah. And the organ, yeah, of course, is, 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 is faith in God, and we're expecting people to be men of men and women of virtue and enterprise. Um, and you, you cannot do it. Um, the role of the Church has been fundamental— to almost every great social reform in this country. Um, manumission, of course, uh, civil rights, of course, uh, suffrage rights, of course. I'd like to see it, um, you know, become instrumental again in the things that, well, you know, if we're talking about some of this chronic homeless stuff, um, if we're talking about family formation, that's another big part yeah. of this, Pete. I don't remember if I saw it from something Brad Wilcox did or somewhere. Maybe he retweeted it out. Not only family formation in decline, but the incredible rise of never married women and the incredible rise of uh, women who are not having children. These these are all these are all signs at least I think to the sane and sober, they're signs of failure. Yeah, yeah. Again, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about human nature here, right, which desires affiliation, and no one better than C.S. Lewis to be uh, just so clear on the fact that we desire to worship. We, are, we, are, we were made for worship, one might say. And this goes back to the earlier part of the discussion, which asked the question, well, if it's not going to be one of the traditional faiths that becomes our uh, object of devotion, if you will, um, does that mean that we just simply turn that part of our humanity off, or do we redirect it to other things? And of course, as much as the communist regimes were atheistic, they really they really had significant faith uh, yes. objects of yes. faith. Yes, <laughs> you know? yes, yes. Uh, you you read Marx and you read the the end goal of yeah. the essentially the communist project. It is a it's it a is strong a message on Earth. Yeah, no, it's a yeah. strong message, and I think children particularly want a strong message. We've probably discussed before. I mean, it may be a little too black and white, a little too Manichaean, but I think children naturally want something to march for. They'll either join the Crips yeah. and the Bloods or they'll join the Boy Scouts. Um, and when it comes to uh, religion, they'll either join uh, Abraham, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob or something else. Um, yeah. We can be as gods, Whitaker Chambers said, was man's yeah. second oldest faith. And that's yeah. really what the communist project was. Let me take a quick break, Pete. Um, this is, wow, this is great going into the uh, holiday season. Pete Peterson and I will be right back. He is the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy, publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu.
Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Pete Peterson is our guest. He is the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. Pete, speaking about the Marxist notion, uh, religion being uh, the poison of the masses um, and that sort of thing, um, Apple is much in the news this week uh, because of its involvement with China. I don't know if you saw this really very haunting moment where a Fox business reporter was asking uh, Tim Cook, the head of Apple, while he was walking oh, yeah. through the hall. You saw this. She, ha- she asked him three yep. simple questions. The first one, every American should be able to answer without, you know, having to having to, you know, even even give it a moment's thought. She said, do you support the protesters in China? He just he, he stayed as silent as as silent could be, uh, just just blithely walking by her to that really question. No one should have a moment's hesitance in answering so I think while that's going on, we saw what he was doing with not allowing airdrop to be used by the protesters, and right. um, which is a way they communicate without surveillance over there at the behest of the CCP. He did that, of course. Apple did. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's one thing about condemning China and the other worry I have, which is us kind of importing and accepting many of those noxious doctrines here or at least becoming comfortable with them. Am I making a little bit of sense? Yeah, I mean, again, we're we're seeing this in how uh, there was also another interview with Tim Cook. He's had a very bad week in the media this week. Uh, There was another Fox News reporter that actually forced him to answer some questions as to some of uh, at least what's being rumored about the possibility that Twitter would be kicked off the Apple App Store, while at the same time, um, TikTok is, is uh, I mean, there's not a debate that that's ever going to be kicked off the App Store. And so these kinds of uh, that's a great decisions... Point. That's a great point. There will not be an internal debate about that. Go ahead. Well, yeah. and it goes to this other piece, right, mm-hmm. which Apple... Uh, as with so many companies, if you're going to engage in uh, this kind of moralizing of uh, so much of what's going on in the country, uh, whether it's, say, Major League Baseball. Yeah, or Nike or Colin Kaepernick. Or Nike or Salesforce, I mean, you name the company. Mm -hmm. Then when are you going to be held accountable as a Fortune 100 company? Uh, for the very real decisions that you're making vis-a-vis China. You know, it reminds me of, uh, we had Victor Davis Hanson give our dean's lecture this past spring, and at the end of the lecture, it was on his book, The Dying Citizen, I, I asked him if he thought that China might be the existential threat to wokeism. In other words, could that, could the realization that China both depends on a woke American culture, uh, but also at the same time exposes the hypocrisy of so many who are operating under that framework, i.e. Fortune 100 companies. Um, could that be the, the realization? Um, and we saw it, we've seen it this week just with Tim Cook and the way that you know he's been uh, asked these questions. In a weird way, half of the country, or maybe half of the country, kind of got there by accident. In a weird way, yeah. 
um, with the Republican Party. Do you remember you and I are roughly the same age? Do you remember growing yep. up seeing bumper stickers like "People Not Profits"? Uh, yeah. the, the left used to, you know, hate the American corporation. And uh, so I guess what they did is t- took it over, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. And now yeah. it's conservatives who talk about, you know, you, you mentioned Prager talking about the bigger the government, the smaller the citizen. But he, he, he will go on and say, I hate big anything, including big business. Um, yeah. And, you know, I mean, he's obviously sweeping with a deliberately broad brush, but he's that's the point he's driving at in some respects. And I think a lot of conservatives, a lot of Republicans now now buy into that in a weird reversal of roles. No, I think that's I think that's fair to say. I, I, I and it again goes to this realization that these companies, which uh, really are are seeking to engage in uh, what might be called social issues, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, certainly in legislation, even at the state yeah, level, yeah. Uh, are they going to hold themselves accountable? No. To some of these issues, those particular questions asked by that Fox News reporter you mentioned when he was yeah. walking through the hill, I mean, were just very legitimate questions uh, yeah. that do you he support, really should answer. Yeah. Do you support Chinese protests? Well, damn it, they support protests here. They'll either right. they'll even misname them uh, as peaceful if they're violent to get them to support them. But of course, they were they were supporting them under a Marxist banner, which is kind of an interesting thought, too. Let me take a quick commercial break and uh, do one last segment for you. I know we only have a few minutes left with you, but I want to talk about another bad week of news for someone when we do come right back. Pete Peterson and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Pete Peterson has been our guest. Pete, I know you have to run any moment now, so you just let me know when you have to go, and we'll uh, not worry about it. But I want to thank you for your time. I did want, if I could, at least get a sentence from you. Something odd, uh, not remarked about enough with the Kanye West meltdowns, not just the anti-Semitism, and I don't want to dismiss it, and I haven't, and and I wouldn't, but also this inability to see what many people many people evidently do want to see which is a a public a public mental health breakdown in real time mm. and 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 it's it's a sad part of our society too isn't it it is uh i had heard it apparently he's been taken off the twitter platform yes yes, yes. uh and i saw somebody uh, on that platform remark that that uh elon was actually doing Kanye or Ye as I guess he's known yeah. now, uh, a favor. Yeah, yeah um, probably. Yeah. But yeah, that is it's uh, a very disturbing thing to watch, and um, uh, one would hope, as we should for anyone, um, that person that people get the help they need, especially in instances like this, especially with people, I dare say, who are so influential. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, there, uh, this could be, as someone who believes in such things, a redemption story um, if certain decisions, if he makes certain decisions and um, seeks to redeem uh, what has obviously been uh, a pretty disturbing couple weeks. Yeah. Yeah. And there's also this line, too, a fine line, but a line 
where we don't want to excuse the volitional things uh, that he is saying, the bigoted, uh, volitional bigoted things. We don't want to whitewash those with a diagnosis of mental illness. But for someone to continue to go down this path, both things are increasingly true. The mental decline, the mental health decline and the levels of of uh, of health he he keeps bringing to the surface with regard to bigotry. Both things are happening at the same time, it seems to me. Right, and to call out those yeah. those anti-Semitic yeah. uh, remarks and and related remarks uh, for what they are, whatever their inspiration, yeah. um, they they need to be condemned and uh, and and not excused. Yeah, it, it may be the first obvious time we can say this person is a danger to himself and others it might it, mm. might, it might actually mm. be the first time we fit i know you have to run pete um i yep. i i appreciate you so much and i thank you so much for everything you're doing with our with our young minds in this country always great to be with you Seth. thank Thanks. you sir pete peterson from the pepperdine school of public policy publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu yeah let me flesh out just a little more if i might that thought um, I was developing uh, with Pete that he was talking about uh, this notion that two things are going on and they are both separate and connected. There is a Venn diagram of two circles here with an overlap. Um, there are volitional statements of, um, of, of, of horrible bigotry uh, and awful conspiratorial thinking. Um, that feed the bigotry, but also have to come in many respects from um, uh, some kind of mental health breakdown. Uh, To continue, you notice each interview he is given, and I wish they'd stop, but each interview he is given uh, becomes, uh, is subsequently worse, uh, which is not unusual uh, for people in the grips of a breakdown. I mean, this wearing of the bondage suit the other day. I, I I mean, I don't even understand how you go through an interview as a host allowing that to take place. But in any event, um, but it's not to let's not use the mental health breakdown either to excuse the slurs continually coming from his mouth. Um, but let's not just take those slurs. I mean, look at the entirety Look at the entire warp and woof of the things he's spewing out and who he's affiliating with. It's not as if he is bringing around with him an entourage of people who are trying to help him or his handlers. It's almost as if you have a worse form, a much worse, a much more vile, a much more evil form of a celebrity who has around him people that are convincing him he's right and good and making him worse. This is how Elvis died. This is how Michael Jackson died in different contexts. There was no obvious ideological or any kind of bigotry fed in those things, but they were surrounded by people who saw a useful um, a useful gravy train um, that were not good for those people. It gets us back in a way, doesn't it, to what I was discussing with Bill and Elaine Bennett in their chapter on friendship in the Burke of Virtues, um, three kinds of friends, friends of, uh, that Aristotle sketches out in book eight of his Nicomachean Ethics, right? There's three kinds of friends, friends that give you pleasure, you know, the kind of friend you like to go to a ball game with or something like that. Um, friends of utility, that is to say friends that... Um, that that help you succeed financially or 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 help you succeed in business or help you succeed in your 
in your in your in your daily efforts. And then there's the the true friend, the the best kind of friend, the highest form of friend. That's what Aristotle was always consumed consumed with, right, David? He was always consumed with the best of each uh, thing in a category. And the best friend, the third friend, the f- third kind of friend is the friend that makes you a better person. Kanye West doesn't have any of these in the third category. I don't think he has any in the first. What he has are friends in the second, friends of utility, but it's in a in the service of a noxious pursuit. The pursuit in his own mind, I suppose, is that he's running for president. I was wondering what Milo Yiannopoulos was doing with him. Milo Yiannopoulos, it was described, is running his presidential campaign. I mean, the the level of, of, of delusion, both self-delusion and public delusion that is going on here uh, seems to know no end, no bound, no bounds. Uh, Kanye West's claims that he's went to meet with Donald Trump at their famous dinner from a couple weeks back to ask Donald Trump to run and run as his vice president. Again, this 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 delusion, but also our fault. Some of it, uh, maybe not yours and mine specifically, but our fault as a society for not understanding really mental health and and for some mental health problems, mental health collapse, uh, mental health um, disease and sickness. In some ways, fetishizing it. Um, I I first noticed this, and maybe it was late to the game, but I first noticed this when people were raving about uh, the the movie Joker with Joaquin or Joaquin Phoenix and saying what a great job he did and how many awards it was nominated for. And all I saw when I saw that movie – was a decline down an increasingly sad, sick, and insane rabbit hole. Uh, I remember one of the other claims, well, he played uh, a mentally deranged person so well. Is that hard to do? Is that is is it hard to – did he, first of all? Did the people saying that know, have, have, have contact, have experience with people who are in the grips of, of a mental health decline or disease? Uh, and 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 B is that is does it take talent to act like you don't have your wits? Um, it seemed to me talent usually ran in the other way, but it seemed we also tend to fetishize this debasement for debasement's sake, and uh, that's a problem we have here in this society. We have to arrest as well. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. If you are concerned with stock market volatility, why refi has an investment in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market. It's a portfolio where your interest is compounded daily, you're paid monthly, there are no fees, you can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you choose, and there's no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. You'll know what each monthly statement will look like. With no surprises. It's a secure collateralized portfolio that delivers an up to 10.25% rate of return. That's right, up to 10 and a quarter percent. YRefi is a due diligence approved firm, and you can check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or give them a call at 888 YRefi34. That's 888 YRefi34. I was just thinking a little bit about. What Pete was saying and what I was saying in my monologue and what I just got done saying, you know, um, this is the world adults are creating for children. 
And in that world, you think about relativism and what I was saying. We keep telling them there's no such thing as truth. We put it, wittingly or not, we put it into almost every graduation speech. The only time you hear the word truth is when people say, well, be true to yourself, not true to something good or something excellent, but yourself. You are the highest standard of right and wrong. We, we tell generations of children that. And while at it, we tell them, don't trust adults. And while at that, adults caved to no longer being adults and parents, but rather friends to their children rather than guides and parents to them. We used to have a time in this country when pampers and diapers were supposed to be outgrown and done so with something called training. Shouldn't be that be true with brains as much as everything else? Brains and souls as everything else? Because part and parcel of that was the twin notion of it just being the right thing to do and the way you're supposed to grow up. Grow up. That's a phrase we used to say. When's the last time you heard someone say, oh, grow up? You don't say it anymore. The phrase is right, supposed to or not. They're just not part of our moral vocabulary or any vocabulary that we use, any dictionary. But it's not the children that took those words and those phrases out of our dictionaries and lexicon. Adults did it. Or really children in adult bodies This should all be obvious, but it isn't. Don't go away. A lot more coming up. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 